Genesis 2, verses 1 through 3. The reason I make that mistake is because really this should be part of Genesis 1. Um, I think the, the chapters that are in our Bible were put there in 1205 A.D. by a man by the name of Stephen Langton, and he really made a mistake in putting verses 1 through 3 in chapter 2 because they're part of the first week of creation, Genesis 1. So we'll forgive him for that mistake. He did a good job otherwise. This is me passing blame to somebody else. Genesis 2, 1 through 3. I'd invite you to stand just for a short bit, just a few short verses. I'm reading from the NIV. Genesis 2, 1 through 3, which says, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. And by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Amen. And you may be seated. Father, we do pray that you would help us this morning and to understand your words and this theme of rest, which is one of the most glorious themes in all of Scripture. And these are some of the most beautiful, wonderful words in all of Scripture. The work was done, and God rested. Help us to know that today and to apply it in our own hearts and minds to give you praise. We pray much the same for the kids in children's church that are gathered in the other room, that you would speak your word and teach your word to them, give them your spirit. And for all who are listening and gathering with us, near or far, may you bless us, Lord, we pray. Amen. And Charles Jefferson, a Christian pastor, once wrote about how hard it is to find the time to visit people in his church. He wanted to visit people in their own homes and, and do catechism-type things with them and pray with them. And he said it was hard to find time because people are so busy. Listen to what he wrote. He wrote, Men are living in strenuous days and have no time to be talked to by a pastor. Business is business and cannot be dropped even for a moment in the heat of the day. Multitudes leave their home for their work in the early morning and return fatigued at evening time. There is ordinarily no, long, no hour in the day in which a pastor can meet the entire household. And he wrote these words in 1912. In 1912, he wrote about how busy we all are, how we barely have time for spiritual things because we're so preoccupied with work. It shows us that some things just don't change. He also said, in the same breath almost, civilization transforms the surface, the interior life it leaves untouched. Which is a way of saying, things change all the time around us, but our souls, our interior life, are pretty much the same as they ever were. And if we were to describe our interior life, our souls, we might use the word busy. It's very often what comes out of our mouth when somebody asks us, how are you doing? Busy. It's almost a default response for me. It's instinctual. With maybe a hint of pride in there, I'm very important, I have many things to do. I'm busy. We probably agree it's not a good thing to just be busy all the time. That busyness leads to higher stress associated with poor physical health and earlier death. Our lack of rest quite literally kills us, and as we'll see, a lack of spiritual 
rest will spiritually kill us. So this morning, what I want to talk about is rest. That's the great theme of the seventh day of creation. It's the theme of our time this morning. It's a theme that runs throughout all of Scripture. And what we find is that God is a God of rest, and we see that in the seventh day, that because God rests from creation, we can rest in him. And that's the main point I want to give to you, impart to you. It's what I want you to take home this morning, that because God rests from creation, we can rest in him. That God is a God of rest. That's part of who he is. And if we're going to be in him, then we can be people of rest as well. It's not only possible, it's essential if we are to be Christians, that we be people of rest in him. That because God rests from creation, we can rest in him. We're going to talk about that theme through the Bible. We're going to start out here in Genesis 2, 1 through 3. Then we're going to stop in three other places and make just quick pit stops in a couple parts of Scripture to see how this rest theme works its way out. So we'll start in Genesis 2, 1 through 3. We'll look at the day of rest in creation. The day of rest in creation. The first couple of verses... Genesis 2, the end of the creation week in a surprising twist, something you would not expect if you didn't know the story already. After six days of creating, you would anticipate that maybe there would be this big crescendo of, of more great and glorious creation, and all of a sudden it all just comes to a halt. And shockingly, on the seventh day of creation, God doesn't create. He rests. The day of rest in creation. As we just read, thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. We've reached the end of creation week, and as we said, on the end of creation week, God doesn't create. It doesn't feature any creation at all. Creation is completed, and it's all good. God made the heavens and the earth and all their vast array, everything in them. All creation is completed, culminating in the creation of humanity, and now God rests. And when we use that word rest, I want to be careful to define it rightly, because what that doesn't mean is that God was so tired from all his creating work that he just had to take a breather. Right? That's not what we mean by rest. By rest, it means simply God stopped. He ceased. So if you can read music, you might know in music there's notations of rest. And what does that rest know? It's a stop. Stop playing music for a second. That's what God did. He just he stopped. He stopped creating. And he took that day to stop creating. And then he blessed it and sanctified it. He blessed it. When God blesses something, what he's really doing is saying, this shall have life. Whenever God blesses something, it's a, it's a wish of life to it. So God is saying that this day of rest shall be a day of life. It will give life, bring life, impart life, and that's going to be a huge theme throughout Scripture. This day of rest is for life and to bring life and restoration. And then he sanctified it. He set it apart as, as a holy day from which we get holiday. A holy day, the seventh day. He sanctified, he set it apart, he blessed it, saying this shall be a day that gives life, this seventh day. And this is how the creation week ends. And that is wonderful. Because it shows us how the creation story ends. This is where it's all headed. This creation week is prophetic. 
It shows you how all things are going to go in creation for the rest of time. This is setting us up in the narrative that at the end of all of God's creating and doing, where this all ends is a day of rest. That's where the future is. And it's a day that won't end. Notice, when you go through this creation week, look for patterns that are there, and then all of a sudden, where patterns change, those are significant. And there's a pattern to the first six days of creation. And that pattern is, at the end of the day, it'll say something like, and there is evening and there is morning, the first day. And that is to signify that that day is over, on to the next one in creation week. But you'll notice that doesn't happen here in the seventh day. On the seventh day, there's no evening and morning, close the seventh day. I think as an indicator that this day has no end. It's an eternal rest. It's where it's all going. A day of rest that never ends. What does it mean that God rested? Why is that significant? God himself would stop from his creative work. Well, it shows he's not threatened by anything. God isn't there worrying on the seventh day, oh no, something's going to come and make this all bad. Oh no, something's going to threaten my creation. He isn't uh, worried about any threats that might undo his work. God is perfectly at peace with what he has done. It is all good and he is satisfied. And there is no power, no agency that can threaten God's work. And we'll see it's corrupted, but that's not outside of God's plan and control. God is at rest, meaning he's not scared, he's not nervous, he's not up there um, fretting and pulling out his fingernails and hair wondering what's going to happen with all my creation. No, God is at rest. He's content with what he's done, and he is not threatened. He is God, he is in control, he's sovereign over all creation. He's at rest. And it also shows us, and here's, I think, something really instructive, God is at rest, which shows us that there is something to life beyond work. On this seventh day, when God stops creating, when he ceases from his work of creation, does he become less God? Is there anything in his value, in his essence, in his being that becomes lesser when he stops doing? No, he's just as God on the seventh day as he is in the first six days, which shows us that our value, our being, our, our worth is not wrapped up in what we produce and what we do. You do not have to be working to be valuable. You do not have to be producing and doing to have worth. And we're not defined by what we do. God isn't necessarily not God anymore when he stops his creating. He is still God, still all-powerful. And in all his power, he shows us that it's okay to stop because there is life outside of working and doing. That's going to be a lesson he wants Israel to learn, so I want you to turn to Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11. Turn to Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11, because this day of rest will become very important in God's people Israel. In Exodus 20 is the Ten Commandments. It's a familiar passage to you, and this is a familiar command, the Fourth Commandment. The day of rest in creation becomes an example for and a foundation for the day of rest in Israel. Next is 28 through 11. We see the day of rest in Israel. It says, this fourth commandment, 
Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. Neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. We're all familiar with this. This is the command of the Sabbath that in Israel they were to observe the Sabbath by not working on the seventh day. Six days they would work, then on the seventh day, on the Saturday, they were to not work. And this is a command not just for people who were in high-up positions who had a lot of worry on them. It was a command for everybody, from the greatest to the least, from a completely free person to a servant, even the animals, even the land was to rest. All of creation in Israel was to observe this day as a day of rest. It set them apart from other nations. Every nation had rules and ethics. If you study ancient laws, you'll find there's a lot of parallels between the law of Israel and the laws in other nations. There's a lot of things that are shared. But this is, from my understanding, pretty unique to Israel. That there is a day commanded of rest, of Sabbath. It was a day of remembrance. Deuteronomy 5.15 says that Israel is to keep the Sabbath as a day of remembering how God had saved them out of Egypt. It was a day of pausing to look your eyes upward and remember God's salvation. A day of ceasing from work, a day of remembrance. Why? Because God himself rested on the seventh day. If you know your Old Testament, you know that Israel wasn't good at keeping the Sabbath. They failed to do this. They failed to give the land rest. They failed to give their servants rest. They failed to give themselves rest. And if you know your Old Testament, you know that God judged them for this. They were disciplined harshly for it. So the question is, why is this so serious in Israel? Why is God so serious about this Sabbath command that he would put it as one of the ten, you know, the ten biggies that outline all the law? If you want to have all the law of Israel summarized in ten laws, here are the ten laws that summarize it. And one of those ten is number four, the Sabbath command for Israel that you are to observe this day of rest. Why is it so important? Because it revealed Israel's heart. It revealed what and who you worship. Where is your trust and faith? Do you believe that you can stop working and the world will spin on? Do you believe that you can stop for a moment and that God will take care of you? Who do you think is your provider? Where is your faith and your trust? Is it in yourself and all the work that you do? Or is it in your God who knows what you need and can take care of you? That's why the day of Sabbath is so important in Israel. It was an indicator of whether or not the people worshipped. 
if you failed to keep the Sabbath in Israel, it was a pretty clear sign of an idolatrous heart. They had priorities above worshiping and honoring God. They trusted in their own work. And I do believe this is a caution for us, that if we are not able to stop working, it is a sign of spiritual ill health. If we can't stop working, it may be because of greed. Always needing and wanting more, not being content with what we have been given. If we cannot stop working, it may be because of faithlessness. Not having faith in God that he will provide. Thinking that if we stop, then everything stops because everything's on our shoulders, not God's. And we forget who actually gives us food and money and a home. If we cannot stop working, it may be that we have made an idol out of success. I must achieve more. Need to accomplish more. Have more accolades by my name. If you cannot stop working, it may be that your idol is success and you fail to worship God with your own work. Maybe pride. If you cannot stop working, you may be too proud to realize that you are a creature, not creator. You can be dependent on him. Commentator Bruce Walke says, A person who feels inclined to work seven days a week should examine what God he or she worships. Those who find their security and significance in money or professionalism find community worship on the first day of the week a burden. I'm going to read that last sentence again because I think it's important. Those who find their security and significance in money or professionalism find community worship on the first day of the week a burden. That's the warning of the Sabbath. If we find work a non-stop necessity, and if we find worship a challenge and a burden, that is an idolatry issue. It's too hard to find time to worship because I'm too busy working. And I would say you have forgotten the God of your worship. It is a warning sign, a blinking sign to all of us. And don't think I'm speaking to you. I am speaking to me in this. You can ask my wife. This is a struggle in our home to find the discipline, to find the humility, to realize I'm not God. I'm not always needed. I can actually turn off the phone and this world will keep spinning and I can rest. What if my business fails? Who cares? If your worship fails, if your family fails, what do you have the business for? Right? This Sabbath day was a hard thing for Israel to observe because it revealed their own insecure, non-worshipping hearts. And it can be failed by individuals. It can be failed by groups. So I know a church, I'm just going to throw this out there for just contemplation for you all. Just kind of test this in your own minds. There's a church I know where they Sabbath two months out of the year. Two months out of the year, as a church, they stop all their ministries outside of Sunday morning worship. In January, one month in the summer, they ceased all their extra ministries outside of Sunday morning worship. Why? Because they realized they were tiring everybody out, too busy, too engaged in ministries to ever rest, and as a, a practice, as a spiritual discipline for the church, said, we're going to actually stop doing for a little bit so we can simply praise and honor God. 
And immediately as we do that, it starts to threaten us because they go, oh, no, that means my ministry would stop for a month and I, I have a lot of hmm, maybe self-worth wrapped up in that, identity wrapped up in that. Can life really carry on without my busyness? Something to consider. The Sabbath in Israel teaches us that our, our physical and spiritual health depends on cycles of work and rest. And somebody will say, well, aren't we supposed to be hardworking? And say, yeah, we'll get to that in the hardworking sermon. But this isn't the hardworking sermon. This is the rest sermon. And for now, we need to be taught that our work doesn't need to be nonstop. And we can take breaks. And we can be even replaced So not everything is dependent upon us. And that was the point of the day and rest in Israel. But somebody will ask, we are not Israel, though. So the big question is, are we as Christians who are not technically Israel, I would say we are the um, fulfillment of what Israel was meant to be in the church and the full people of God. We are not Israel itself, so we know we're not under all the commands of the Old Testament, but are we under this one? I mean, it's number four. It's one of the... Big Ten, are we under the command to keep the Sabbath, to observe the Sabbath? Is that something we're obligated to? Well, that's the thing I want to answer by looking at the day of rest in Jesus. And the New Testament, I think, touches on this. And here's where you may disagree with me on this, but I'm going to try and make the, the point that our rest ultimately is not in observing a day, but in Jesus Christ. That we have our day of rest in Jesus. So turn to Matthew 11:28. You're familiar with this passage, Matthew 11:28 through 30. There's a call for rest in Jesus from Jesus himself. Matthew 11, 28, 30. We have our day of rest in Jesus. And he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. To fully understand what Jesus is saying here, it's helpful to know what the Sabbath had become in Israel. Many of you are familiar with the Old Testament law and what Israel had done with the Old Testament law. So you have these commands in the law, commands like observe the Sabbath day, remember it. And what Israel had done is added a whole lot of extra traditions on top of that law as a way of helping and if we have the law of keeping a Sabbath, well, we're going to add on a whole bunch of extra rules and regulations and traditions to help you keep that Sabbath. So there's all sorts of things you're not able to do, you're not supposed to do, so that you keep the Sabbath. So a bunch of extra things have been heaped on top of the command to observe a Sabbath, all extra regulations, rules, and principles. And by the time Jesus came around, it became really hard to figure out what were actually the traditions and customs we're supposed to keep around the Sabbath. And keeping the Sabbath had actually become a burden. And now here's the irony of that. Think about that. The day of rest had become a burdensome obligation to them because it was so challenging to figure out how do we keep this. And everyone's like, well, this is hard and we can't even possibly keep it up because it's too complicated. So in the midst of that burden of trying to keep the law and trying to keep all the traditions and customs, Jesus comes and says, come to me, all you who are burdened and weary, and I will give you rest. Jesus says, I am where rest is truly found. 
If you find you can't keep all the rules and customs of religion, if you've tried to be good enough and find you keep failing to be good enough, if you are tired and weary because of your own sin and your own failures, come to me. That is the call to all who are weary and burdened and tired and fatigued from their own failure, their own weakness. Come to me, Jesus says, and I will give you rest. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. What Jesus is saying is, you and I, we don't have the burden of trying to be perfect because he was perfect for us. And the reality is, Jesus is the Sabbath. That's what he's saying here. If you want to know where rest is found, it's not in observing a day, it's in worshiping a person. Come to me, I will give you rest. This is how the Sabbath changes in the New Testament once Jesus comes. Once Jesus comes, the Sabbath is no longer found in observing a day of rest. The Sabbath is found in Jesus himself. And some of you will say, well, that's a pretty radical claim, but I think that's consistent with what Jesus says and what he does. What does Jesus do in all of his miracles on the Sabbath? He constantly provokes the Jewish people by healing and doing miraculous works on the Sabbath to prove a point. First, that this day is to be a day of rest and restoration, not of burden and obligation. And second, to show that he is the Sabbath. He is the one who brings rest and restoration. So it's no accident. Look in your Bibles if you've turned to Matthew eleven twenty-eight. What comes right after these verses of Jesus? A couple of Sabbath arguments. Jesus goes out walking with his disciples. They pick heads of grain to eat. Pharisees argue with them, hey, you're harvesting. That's not allowed on the Sabbath. And you notice what Jesus does in that altercation. He's going to argue with them a little bit about their interpretation of the law, because there is no Old Testament law against picking heads of grain. That was their custom. They didn't interpret the law rightly. But he goes beyond just having a Bible debate with them. Jesus says something far more profound at the end of that teaching. What does he say? Son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. What is Jesus saying there? He's saying, I'm the one who determines what Sabbath is. I'm Lord of the Sabbath. I have authority over your customs and your rules and traditions. I have authority over the Sabbath itself. I have authority over the law. In fact, I am the Sabbath. That's the claim that Jesus is making over and over again. He is Lord of the Sabbath, and we find our rest in him. The Sabbath in the Old Testament is just like all the other aspects of the Old Covenant law. Temple, priestly sacrifices, those are things there to point us to Jesus. So in the temple, that is where the presence of God is. The ultimate presence of God is in Jesus. In the Old Testament sacrifices, we're made right with God and we have reconciliation with God, but that ultimately happens in Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. And the Sabbath is an Old Testament institution that is meant to point the way towards Jesus. You have rest in the Sabbath, but you have ultimate rest in Jesus Christ. It's the difference between a picture and the real thing, between shadow and substance. So, kids, I'll ask you a question, a real easy one. Would you rather have a picture of ice cream or ice cream? All right, we should all get that one right. Picture of ice cream isn't bad, but it's not ice cream itself. It's not the real thing. Would you have a shadow of the thing or the real thing? Would you rather have a day of rest or eternal rest in Jesus Christ? 
That's the difference. It is why Paul says in Colossians 2, 16, 17, pay attention to this. Paul says, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a Newman celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. So if somebody asks, do we have to keep the Sabbath? I would say, no. Why? Because Christ has kept it for us. He perfectly did it when we never could, and in him we have our rest. He is the fulfillment of Sabbath. He is where rest is found. And whenever the New Testament talks about rest, it doesn't talk about observing a day, it talks about a person in Jesus. And when somebody asks, do I have to keep the Sabbath? I would say, maybe you're not asking the right question. Asking, do I have to take a day off? Do I have to take a day of rest? It's a lot like asking, do I have to eat ice cream? Like, God gave it for you for your enjoyment. It's not a question of obligation. It's a question of, here's a good gift, do you want to enjoy it? So personally... I know I am not bound to keep the Sabbath. I'm not obligated to keep Sabbath because Jesus kept it for me. But you know what I do in my practical week? I take a day off because it's good for me. And it brings life and health, and it's a day of worship and rejoicing in Jesus Christ who has given me rest in him. Don't have to, but maybe it's a good idea. And as God rested and showed a pattern for us. But ultimately, no, Jesus keeps it for us. So you don't have to keep a Sabbath to try and please him. You don't have to keep a Sabbath to try and observe the law. You don't have to keep a Sabbath to try and find rest and favor with God. All of that is given to you in Jesus Christ. And it will be fully given to you in glory. And that's where I want to close here in the last couple minutes. Fourth, we have a day of rest in creation, a day of rest in Israel, a day of rest in Jesus, and we will have a day of rest in glory. And that's where this is all headed. The day of rest in glory, turn to Hebrews 4. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 9 through 11. The book of Hebrews, if you know, the whole book of he theme of the book of Hebrews is really Jesus is better. It's about the supremacy of Jesus Christ. There were people in the Roman church... Jewish Christians who were tempted to turn away from Christianity, turn away from Jesus and go back to their Old Covenant, Old Testament customs from cultural pressure. They were tempted to go back and reject Jesus. And all of Hebrews is basically an explanation that Jesus is better, so maintain faith in him. And in the midst of that argument, the author touches on the Sabbath in Hebrews 3 and 4. In verses 9 through 11, he says... There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. The author is referring back to the Israelites who wandered in the wilderness They failed to enter their promised land, their rest. You know those who left Egypt, who wandered in the desert, that generation died off because of rebellion, and they failed to enter their rest, the promised land to Israel. Israel, the the place, was a representation of rest for them. So the author of Hebrews is saying, you, Christians, don't fail to enter your rest. Where's your rest? Where's that place? 
It's a spiritual heavenly place. What he's saying is, don't fail to enter heaven. Don't fail to enter God's rest by your rebellion, by turning away from Jesus. Why do I want to be in that rest? How do we have that rest? Look at verse 10. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Read that verse several times this week. That is a cause for worship. Anyone who enters that rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. He's looking back to Genesis 2, that seventh day of creation. He's noting God rested from his works. And he's saying, you also in glory, in rest, rest from your works. Why is that good news? Because you're resting from two kinds of works. First, resting from sinful works. That when you enter in glory in that rest, you will one day finally rest from your sinful acts. And if you're like me, and if you're reminded of your imperfections all the time, and you see them face to face, and you know your sin, this is good news. In glory, your sinful works will stop. You will have rest from your sin, finally, in glory. And I want to spend ten extra minutes on the already and not yet, and how we already have rest there, but for the sake of time, I won't go there. But know that you already have rest from your sin in Jesus Christ. So you have rest from your sinful works, and also rest from your religious works. Rest from those works where you try and earn God's favor and try and be right with God and try and maintain a relationship with him. You'll have rest from those works as well. Your works will be done. You'll no longer have to try and earn God's favor because you can't, because it's secured for you, because you already have rest in Christ. And one day, in glory, you'll have full rest, done with all the striving and trying to be right with God and figuring out that you're failing, all that done with. Because you have rest in Jesus Christ. Why? Because he is at rest. And he has done the work. He has already secured your rest. He has already secured your relationship with God. He's already come and done the work. He lived the life. He kept the Sabbath. He died on the cross. And what did he say on the cross? This is an important phrase. It's finished. It's done. The work of salvation is accomplished. You don't need to do it anymore. I'll ask you a question. When you rent a hotel room, what is the first thing you do when you go in? You might have various answers. Maybe you unpack. Maybe you see it's on the TV, whatever. How many of you clean the hotel room? No, you don't. Why? Because it's already done. Somebody's already done that, you hope. But you don't need to clean it again again, because it's already clean. You don't need to save yourself again because you're already saved in Christ. He has already done the work accomplishing your salvation. You can rest in him. And you know what? Jesus himself rests. Because when he ascended, resurrected from the grave and ascended, what did he do? He sat down at the right hand of the Father. As a way of saying, he's no longer working to accomplish your salvation. He's already done it. So you can be at rest in him. So I'm really excited about Genesis 12, 1 through 3. It's a preview. Here's where this is all headed in Christ. Eternal rest. No longer striving to be right with God. And we use that as an encouragement. So let me encourage you just to close. Don't hesitate to build patterns of rest in your life. 
You're a creature, not the creator. The world will spin when you sleep. Rest from trying to earn his love. You don't need to. He's already forgiven you in Jesus Christ. And you have peace with God and him. Rest from sins. Because God has washed you clean in Jesus Christ. If you don't know Jesus Christ, as Hebrews 4 warns, make sure you enter his rest and find your rest in Jesus Christ. And look forward to the rest we have in eternity with him forever. Because God rested from creation, we can have rest in him. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the good news of rest. That when we look to you, we see a God not stressed out, a God not worrying about the fate of the world, a God who's uh, distant or far from us, but a God who's at rest, who is at the same time no longer creating and at rest in that, and at the same time still caring. And as Jesus says in John 5, working, securing us in our salvation. May we have our rest in you because Jesus Christ has earned that rest for us and kept the Sabbath when we could not. May we rejoice in him. Amen.